Rethinking healthcare takes more than disruption. It takes more than thought leaders. It takes change makers and doers. That's who we'll be speaking to on the Healthcare Rethink podcast, giving you, our dedicated listeners, a rich body of insights to make your own change. This is the Healthcare Rethink podcast. Yes, this is the Healthcare Rethink podcast. I am your host, Brian Urban. And today our episode was spurred by an interesting question. Can tokenizing data actually improve individual health? Well, I am no expert at all on this, but I have someone who is. And joining us from Datavant is the head of provider research, Claire Manet. Claire, welcome to our little show. Thanks for having me, Brian. This is so exciting because we've talked about doing this episode for a little bit here, and we're finally here. We're finally doing it. Uh, So with each of our episodes, Claire, we like to get to know our guests and and share a little bit more about your background to our audience to to kind of familiarize who you are and what you do. So you're at Datafont, a little shop there in San Francisco, California. You have a huge impact across the world, though. But how did you get here? Uh, Take us back to what led you to Datavant and what led you really to now being the head of provider research there? Sure. I've always had an interest in healthcare. I initially wanted to go into medicine. I was pre-med and and with the exception of a year and a half stint working for a hedge fund, I've exclusively worked in healthcare and always wanted to do stuff behind the scenes. And I, one of my first jobs actually out of college was at UCLA, and I worked on a couple of opioid studies, and these were NIH studies uh, where I, I worked on the intake, doing consent form for the participants on the studies, and uh, this was all the data that we had. It was whatever we collected from that. And, and whenever they came in for the visits, uh, we'd record everything, compile all results and share it. So um, one of those studies was actually to, to look at the effectiveness of Suboxone, which is uh, the, the drug that's used now to uh, support people who have a, a, a likeness for opioids. And uh, so anyway, um, that, that was one of my first, first jobs. And Um, That was all the data we had. And and fast forward to all the other work that I did. I I did more clinical research. I I worked um, in consulting and patient safety. And when I came across Datavant, which was a a newer company, it's been around for about five years, I thought, wow, if only we had this technology, the ability to link disparate healthcare data sets together, we could have learned so much about that research, that trial that that I worked on many moons ago at UCLA. And so I was so fascinated by that. And then in between all of that work from when I was at UCLA and, and working on all these other healthcare studies and projects, we could have also used Datavant as well. So here I am, and I am so lucky and fortunate to work with a number of different provider researchers at academic medical centers and health systems at collaboratives. And they get so excited that this technology is available so that they can learn more about their patients. Uh, so that that's what I get to do today. That is awesome. And, and I have to brag about you as well, because UC Berkeley uh, academic background, 
and then of course on to Dartmouth for your master's in public health. And I, I just think that's such an interesting blend because you've done the research. Now you're doing really these partnerships you're leading. And then also the innovation side of, of your work at Datavant as well. So I, you know, I have my little hat here for you because we share we share some lone pine green colors. So I had to do that for a second if it's on there. Um, I love the Dartmouth Institute. We, we always gotta be proud of that. Leading some great research there themselves. Um, and you know, I and speaking of that, Claire, I wanted to get into a little bit more about what tokenizing data is, and then we'll connect that into the research that you're leading now. But I understand tokenization to really be uh, you're replacing a sensitive piece of information with like a surrogate value and or a descriptor. And that's very different than encryption, which is like scrambling data. But can you kind of level set for our audience what tokenizing data means? Because that touches your entire solution suite and all of feeling all of your research as well. Sure. That that's actually you're on the right track too. Tokens are essentially a key for a patient. It takes the PHI or PII elements from a patient record that could exist in an electronic health record, in a registry, in a social determinants of health data set. And it pulls those originating PHI, scrambles it into a 44 character hash hash string and uh, creates this, this new identifier or identification key to uh, be able to link it to other data sets. So you won't know that this is the data from Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center for Brian Urban. It'll be a 44-character hash string. And it's a two-step process. It's hashing and encryption, as you had mentioned, and using an algorithm to develop that to create it. I love one of our customers actually was able to illuminate what, what this looks like to, to someone like my parents who are not in healthcare and technology. And one of the, the analogies that they used is making a smoothie. So you take whole fruit and you take fruit, you take ice, you could put your protein powder in there, blend it all up. And then you end up with this scrambled fruit smoothie, but you can't go back to the originating whole fruit again. So that's essentially what, what we do at Datavan. And I, I think it's, it's one of the, the coolest things because all the tokens that are created are site specific for, for each project, for each site. And so all of it is done behind the firewall that our, our provider researchers do. So they do it on their own. They create the key themselves. Data doesn't get sent to Datavant. So, um, so they do that on their own. That is a very good analogy. I would say that could be universally accepted. Uh, and, and that's just so helpful, I think, for everyone that's listening to this to get a better understanding of not only what Datavant does, but the process in which uh, you work through to be able to secure sensitive information, but also enable it so you're finding the individuals you need to help or providing the next step in a very important clinical research study, et cetera. So good walkthrough. Thank you, Claire. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about Datavant and and then into some of your work. So I think a big announcement, obviously, acquisition of Swellbox, uh, patient accessing their own information. That's that's huge. Uh, what's really interesting, uh, as aside from that, is the switchboard platform. Uh, I, I think this is so unique, and there's a really good visual on your website that shows 
just how the tokenization process works and the interconnectedness of a lot of unstructured data that can can help start to, to make sense and maybe even profiles or social health profiles is where my head goes to what your data could be used in the SDOH world. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about Switchboard Platform? And uh, I want to get into really how your work is, is touching health equity in a second. That's what I'm really excited to talk about. I'm excited to talk about that as well. The, the beauty about Switchboard is that it's end-to-end -end. How do you start? How do you, you finish? And I, I think one of the important things that, that we spend a lot of time working on at Datavant is compliance. We obsess over uh, HIPAA requirements. We, we have the, the privacy hub piece of this, this whole switchboard. And it's how do we make sure that we are not at risk or compromising any of the identities of, of these, these patients. These are people who, who are studying, technically not we, but the researchers who are, who are studying. And uh, there is an, an algorithm, a statistical algorithm that these uh, statisticians, data scientists work on to, to make sure that when you take one data set and link it to another data set, that uh, there's not going to be any compromised data uh, that leaks out that is is for a patient. And so expert determination is one of those two forms of the health and human services uh, administration's uh, ways of protecting patient privacy. Safe Harbor is, is the first, which is deducting 18 different patient identifiers of data, but that can't be linked. And it it's only that data set that you get to use. Expert determination, part of the privacy compliance por portion of the, the switchboard is, is what we, we like to obsess over. And so I think we, we start with connecting the data, making sure that that what we have is is something that can be connected, whatever we start with, the, the data sets that the providers start with, um, that that data can be used to create a token and then going through the process of compliance and, and being able to deliver that together. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, I think, I think the world we're in uh, advancing data as a service, really, and uh, different platforms, the, the whole tech world, you think about fast, fun, impactful innovations, but underneath that, the fundamental piece that has to be there no matter what is compliance. And if, if you're not securing information uh, in a, a, a legal way, in a compliant regulatory way, then everything else is gonna kind of crumble down. You know, building your house on sand versus on a rock kind of analogy. You have to do it right and, and doing it with integrity is extremely important. So uh, thank you for, for being able to elaborate on that. All right, Claire, let's, let's get into the, the really impactful stuff. Speaking of, uh, I wanna understand how your work is connected to progressing health equity. Uh, overall, U.S. globally, uh, we talked earlier about your relationships with over 60 academic medical centers, including federally federally qualified health centers. I mean, that, that's a huge network of very valuable, high talented researchers that are all focused on helping improve human health and, and helping bridge gaps. So, I want to understand how your work connects into into that. 
you're talking about PCORDA. So thanks for, for bringing that up and, and leading me into that. The, the National Patient-Centered Clinical Research Network is a collaboration of over 60 academic medical centers and health systems across the U.S. And they've come together because they found that by partnering together and linking their electronic health record data together that they can look at comparative effectiveness research. And as, as one of those offshoots, some of the, the research that's come of that is a, a group from Cornell and from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia wanted to better understand uh, the effects of, of COVID um, to enhance uh, recovery, especially for long COVID. So they created a subnetwork of 40 different PCORNET sites and um, this is an NIH-funded grant that they're working on, and they want to understand how, how to prevent this, how to treat this. Uh, this is all happening live right now. As you know, uh, everyone is still, still trying to, to figure and understand um, how can we, we better work through this, this pandemic. And uh, that's what Wild Cornell Medicine and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia are doing and partnering with, with this network through, through the PCORNET collaborative as well. And that's amazing. I, I think it's very difficult for, uh, for, for at least the U.S. landscape to separate their ultra competitive business models and, and healthcare models and put that aside and really focus on how can we collaborate to better improve the healthcare economy, the, how people get access to care, how are we identifying people that have needs so we can reduce their, uh, their use of ER uh, services and work more with family medicine and other preventative medicines. So that's just so unique. I love the example too of, of CHIP of Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. They had such an interesting background from where they came, which was uh, having the worst health outcomes, the worst inequities uh, for, for children and for adults in America, uh, dating back into the, the 50s, 60s, and probably before that. And now where they are, they're leading a lot of medicine and how you treat families and how you get children uh, healthier and, and, and better better services and better access to services. So uh, great, great example of that. Uh, you had mentioned to me earlier uh, along those lines, uh, your work with University of Wisconsin-Madison, there's a substance abuse project. So you even talked about your work dating back to UCLA. So bring me up to speed here, how this project is going, uh, and, and what you're doing right now. Yeah, so th thanks. And and I think that's that's one of the, the most exciting things is to be able to come full circle, to see where where you started and, and where things are, are working towards. So being able to have that background, working on, on substance abuse when, when I first started at UCLA and then partnering with the University of Wisconsin, Dr. Majid Afshar is a critical care uh, physician, a pulmonologist by training as well. And he's building the first of its kind informatics platform to bring both state level and county level organizations. They're, they're using the DataVance software, linking it to the University of Wisconsin electronic health record data and, and other claims, mortality data. Other stakeholders are, are participating in this to better understand substance misuse uh, prevention, how to treatment map across the state and improve care delivery. And what's really exciting is that 
Dr. Afshar has this, this informatics background. He's part of AMIA, the American Medical Informatics Association, and he's developing these algorithms and applications that are centered around their substance misuse data commons to inform those patient level and population level interventions. And I think that that technology piece is, is super cool um, to see how is that going to, to really help expand the scope of, of what they're doing to prevent uh, substance misuse in the state. He, there is a focus on, on opioids, but it's also alcohol, it's also methamphetamines, it's benzodiazepines as well. So it, it runs the whole gamut as well. And uh, I think it's, it's also really important to highlight that this is bringing the Department of Public Health, it's the, the county, the Department of Corrections, the, the state PDMP, the claims data sources, all of them are, are collaborating together because they, they see the value in being able to bring all of these data, link these data together in a privacy preserving way and, and better understand um, how we can help help these people in our community. I love this project because I, one, it's, it's focused on good work. And, and the other thing is, I think it's an accelerant to, and maybe I can, I can just ask you this boldly to potentially building a mental health and substance misuse infrastructure in America. I mean, you think about if, if I fell right now, broke my ankle, an ambulance would be here soon or, or if I was very rural, a helicopter, I would get flown to a hospital, treated immediately, build the insurance company. Like that's a business model. But mental health, if I had if I had something right now in terms of you know sharing depression with you, oh yeah, good luck, I guess. Right. I mean, like there's hotlines, of course, which is which is great, but there's no infrastructure in place. So do you think a lot of these projects and these work this work with these data will lead toward building like an actual infrastructure of mental health and substance misuse in America? I mean, within maybe a decade plus, like the hope is hope is there. But I mean, do you think these projects will kind of lead toward that? Yes. And, and I use that example, the Wisconsin Substance Misuse Data Commons, as that example, because the, the ability of using that machine learning technology will get an advance of what may come, look at the trends in advance of, of any type of situation from becoming exasper exacerbated in in the state. And I think that that technology and and being able to use those algorithms that he's working on will will help treat in advance and, and be able to to find the patient and support them and and give them uh, any type of services that they can uh, use and take advantage of before things get worse, before they end up uh, being incarcerated before they end up dying. And I think ultimately that's that's what a physician, a nurse, anyone who's working in the clinical field wants to make sure that they they help people get better. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that comment in terms of maybe how this technological leap through machine learning will help just kind of maybe just go on top of the very old sick care model we have in, in healthcare in the U.S. and just be a newer, better component than uh, maybe having to build an infrastructure from the ground up. It, it's just something new that can get puzzle fit and then hopefully adopted across the U.S. But uh, you got me excited. You got me jazzed up about that because we need that type of work to actually be fulfilled and, and actually come to fruition. 
so Claire, uh, you said something, let's stay in the Midwest, the upper Midwest, the frozen tundra for a minute. We talked about Wisconsin project there, University of Michigan. You mentioned earlier to me about an ophthalmology project that's going on. And I actually, I love what you, what you said. I won't take the words from you. Uh, tell me a little bit about your perspective and an ophthalmology connected to to overall human health, and then what this project is with University of Michigan. Sure, and and here's my my ode to Michigan too. The the hand where where are they? <laughs> Where's Ann Arbor in the hand? Uh, so um, University of Michigan has an ophthalmologist, Dr. Josh Stein, who has created this network of his own, built from from the ground up. Uh, a very grassroots level type of, of need that he found to better understand ocular diseases in the U.S. And he wanted to see what patterns of eye care look like just uh, outside of, of Michigan itself, Ann Arbor, too. There, there are so many different changes that can happen. And, and he thought, what, what else can we learn outside of, of the state. So he's connected with a number of ophthalmology programs across the U.S. at other academic medical centers, and they want to help better understand what does the quality of life look like for patients with ocular disorders. So the, the database that he has built is uh, de-identified using the DataVant tool, the, the tools that we have, uh, to link all of these EHR data across the different academic medical centers. And the uh, researchers can access this for their own uh, research use as well. And uh, everyone gets use of, of the DataVant software to tokenize their, their patient population and profile. And uh, what I, I really wanted to say about this too is, it's one of those senses, our vision, that we do take for granted. It's, it's one of the most beautiful senses that we have that we can see and, and visualize. And, and I think that we need to have some more attention on this, too, because um, what if we, we were not to have our, our vision, too? I, I think it would be really hard and difficult to have life. And these are a lot of the patients he works with, especially ones who go through glaucoma. And, uh, and so he, he really wants to, to help improve that, that eye care in, in the U.S. And that's amazing because you think about population health relative to ocular health. I think about the homeless population in America. Uh, and you think about how we don't have a benchmark on how good their vision is and how that's impacting their quality of life, uh, homeless, and then through their journey of maybe getting out of homelessness. And I, I, I'm sure that project will lead to a, a lot of really good things. But I guess, is the population being studied in just large segments, age-based, or is it geographical-based? Is it socioeconomic status? I'm curious a little bit more about the population, if you're able to allude uh, to, to that. Sure, these are insured patients. So it is it is the, the patients who are going to Penn Med, to University of Michigan Medical School, to Stanford, to UCSF. Um, we don't know a lot about the homeless population, unfortunately. And, and I think that that is an area that we can certainly um, look into and, and tap into. One of the, the coolest data sets that is out there or types of data that's out there is social determinants of health data. And this will really get at the crux of, of health equity and understanding what are patients' propensities to buy 
alcohol from a grocery store and uh, and actual groceries versus other processed foods? Uh, what is their education level like? Um, do they rent? Do they own? Do they have have they had a consistent place to stay in in a home? And and all of this information is really useful and and we can also have a better understanding of of these patients. Have they come out of homelessness or are they going into it to uh, we've seen a lot of people, especially during COVID, to have a, a complete change in their socioeconomic status. Um, so I think um, being able to study that is, is something that a lot of these um, social determinants of health data sets can be attributed to the existing electronic health record data that they're working with today. That's really helpful. And I think that's where I was hoping this would go. And it's good. You have to start somewhere to understand the connection of, you know, ocular health in terms of disparities there. And then connecting into the SDOH insights like that, that's huge because that gives a very good sense of what people need. I, I am uh, the biggest critic of any organization in the healthcare ecosystem saying uh, risk, member risk or risk stratification. Oh my gosh. It's what people need. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just human needs and how do you help other humans? Uh, we, we do enough of underwriting risk in, you know, in the insurance world. Um, what are the people needing? And I think there's a lot of great health equity leaders coming into uh, insurance uh, organizations now. Uh, Sachin Jain leading Scan Health. He's an amazing leader. Uh, Bachara over there at Kaiser Permanente. Uh, they're just amazing people that are talking about human needs. And I've never heard the, the word risk come out of their mouths because they don't see it like that. They see about you know, helping people. <laughs> so I like how you touched on that specifically to connect all those big dots there. Uh, and that's just so exciting. So uh, Claire, you know, uh, Datavant, you work with over 15,000 clinics, uh, 120 health plans, and, and then specialty uh, pharmaceutical and genetic labs as well. It's so much work and you've touched a lot of it. Can you tell me maybe what's your proudest moment or what's fulfilled you the most? It's probably tough to pick one, but what just gut, gut response here? What what comes to mind of the most impactful work that, that you've touched so far? And then I want to look into the future a little bit too. Yeah, I think um, there, there are just every researcher comes to us and and they they want to to have a better understanding of their patients and i i i really appreciate that when they when they do share that with us to to pick one one project uh i think it's a a little tough there there was there was um we did um gosh um, we had a researcher touching on on this subject too, um, a researcher from the Medical College of Wisconsin uh, last year. She wanted to better understand the homeless population in Chicago. So she took the the services, some of the the, the social service programs that were available there in Chicago, and who accessed them, and and she was able to to get an understanding too through county the the Cook County medical records and other health system medical records on these patient populations and get an understanding of what services they were using and taking advantage of and looking at those trends. She hasn't published yet, uh, but as soon as she does, we'll, we'll begin 
begin to learn a lot about that. And I thought that that was something that was really special that she particularly worked on. I, I think anything that touches children too um, is also really important. We don't know a lot about um, how how COVID affects children uh, on a, a greater scale too. And I think all of those are, are in progress. I also um, can say, and I, I have so many too, that's why I'm gonna just throw a smattering of them. Um, the University of Texas at Austin has created an app to help support um, people in their community who are, it's a, in, in vulnerable communities. So those who are at risk for, for housing, those who are at risk for using substance um, misuse, and uh, they created an app and partnered with a social determinants of health uh, organization to help them locate where's the nearest uh, helpline or hospital or clinic or service center that they could take advantage of to, to improve their work skills or to get a food bank access to a food bank. And so I think um, that particular project uh, is also super special as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you on so many fronts of, Pediatric care, uh, children health research. Uh, that's that's where my my heart goes for a, a lot of uh, efforts uh, inside FinThrive and outside the the you know my my research world too. And this is excellent, Claire. So I, I just love learning about this. And uh, you actually work with Children's Health of Phoenix uh, pretty closely, and we could use them as an example or or any any anyone else in the pediatric world. Uh, but how I guess how is DataVant helping providers see their patients differently. And we could talk about this maybe on the on the research end a little bit if you want, but how is DataVant helping kind of change the way providers see their patients? Yeah, let's, let's take a, a step back to as consumers, Brian, we have our health data at the hospital. There's the EHR there, but we could also have gone to a lab to, to get our blood drawn or do other types of samples there. And, and then we may have wearables too. Our, our data is everywhere. And if you're like me, you've moved several times. And so you've gone to multiple hospitals and clinics and urgent care perhaps too. And, uh, and so your data is, is everywhere. If you are a provider or a, an academic researcher and uh, you only have that health data that you either collect through a survey for your patients or from the electronic health record, that's essentially all you know about them. And, and what we help researchers do is to be able to link all these disparate health data sets together because they're so siloed. Um, healthcare is, is one of those things that we're, we're just that little sliver trying to help improve healthcare in this way as, as a tool. And, and I think that is, is going to help illuminate the way that a, a researcher can see their, their patient history and, and look at the different journeys that this patient has gone through across their, their years of, of life. That is really, really insightful to hear. It's the journey that a provider can see along a, a individual's progress through health or uh, regression in health or changes in life, adverse life events, losing loved ones, uh, losing job, uh, things like that, moving, uh, all kinds of different events. Like that, that is really helpful. And it's, it's going to change the way I think probably I was just talking to Dr. 
David Nash of, of uh, Thomas Jefferson University, he's at the College of Medicine there, he was describing how uh, the education construct needs to change for those in pre-med and those in medical school to incorporate more of like a medical humanities touch to it, a social determinants of health, and having that as a as kind of the bedrock of education, how you interact with patients and how you consume data to determine what the conversation is like with a patient. Like that's next generation. That's where healthcare needs to go. And thank you for, for sharing that. That's very, very insightful, Claire. So I want to take a leap into the future a little bit here. So DataVant touches the whole healthcare ecosystem now in terms of uh, your, your research work, providers, health plans, pharmaceutical, uh, and, and genetic labs that we were talking about as well, and all these really interesting projects at different levels uh, of public health, community, and county that you're giving examples of. Two, three years from now, what do you think DataVance's most impactful work will be touching? I would venture a guess that it would be something to do with the, the global healthcare world. So uh, anything that, that touches uh, patients across the world, uh, clinical trials probably, um, I, would, I would venture to guess that we would tokenize all the clinical trials um, worldwide to better understand what, what is a, a patient's journey across um, different countries and, and being able to look at their, their health care within their health system versus what it looks like in, in the U.S., in Japan, in the U.K. And I think, uh, you know, if we're able to expand that scope, um, that will be most useful. And the, the reason why I bring that up, Brian, is because I lost an aunt to cervical cancer and it was so hard to try to find a trial for her to, to join. And by the time we learned about that, it was too late. And uh, there are so many trials out there that can support people going through not just cancer, but, but all types of rare genetic diseases. And, and if there's a way that we can help link all of those patients together so that they can get the treatment or, or the, the possibility of getting some sort of treatment, I think that that would be the, the wave of our future too. So I would, I would do clinical trials on a global level. Thank you for sharing that, Claire. And I think that's a, a, a very passion generated place where DataVant's coming from and having leaders like yourself being able to have these amazing research projects in your hands, great partnerships and innovations coming up. We need more Claire Manets in our world, and I'm glad you're doing the work you're doing, and thank you for sharing that. And man, just an exciting horizon for, for DataVant. Uh, but I, I just really enjoyed talking about the whole landscape, everything you touched, uh, just, just a wonderful conversation. So thank you for joining our little show, Claire. Oh, this is such a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian. And for more insights and excerpts from our conversation, please visit finthrive.com. <laughs>